Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We finally made it through Genesis 1. Everybody said, Amen. All right. All I can say is it's not my fault. Now, it is, it is important, I, I feel very strongly, that we do take our time, especially at the beginning here. Uh, such foundational truths, really, <clears throat> for the rest of not just the book of Genesis, but for the rest of Scripture. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to kind of actually jump around a lot. It's going to sound a little bit more topical <laughs> than we typically uh, preach. We typically preach very expositionally. But uh, I hope that as we go through it, you'll see that it all actually fits together exactly with uh, the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. Genesis chapter 2. We spent the last few weeks digging into chapter 1, which is the creation story, uh, studying the amazing works that God did in creating everything that we see. Uh, he created so many things. We've taken the time and, and gone through that narrative pretty slowly over four weeks. Um, just looking at the, the beauty and the magnificence of creation. Um, even, even recently, you know, it's easy to get down with all the, uh, the storms and the, the thunderstorms and the lightning and, and all that stuff. And, and it's easy to kind of get dreary about things like that. But, but when you really stop and put that in the perspective of Genesis chapter 1 and think about the fact that God made all of that. And he, and he made it for a purpose. And, uh, and so we're going, to, uh, we're going to dig into the next piece here. Um, as we dig into this passage this morning, we're only going to get through three verses. And uh, Russ was giving me a hard time this morning because um, he, uh, as the deacons and the elders, we send our notes out to the deacons and the elders before we uh, preach so that they can, you know, get an inside scoop. No, it's so that they can be prepared to help out with the... Uh, uh, a&I time. Uh, but he was giving me a hard time this morning. He's like, I, I went to print off your, your sermon notes and it just kept printing and printing and printing. <laughs> um, and so now you're all like, oh no, <laughs> it's going to be a long one. Most of that was scripture references. So hopefully uh, it won't take much longer than normal. Uh, but there is a lot to cover. So I'm going to probably move fairly quickly as we go. Uh, try to keep up. If you have a question, uh, save it for A&I time. <laughs> at the end. Um, but we're going to be digging into a very familiar passage, a very short passage, one that you might think, how in the world are you going to get 45 minutes out of three verses? Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to get 45 minutes out of a lot of verses. And we're going to jump around quite a bit. So get your, get your fingers ready, whether it's through your physical Bible or on your digital device. Get ready to uh, jump around a little bit as we see what God has, us, has for us this morning in Genesis chapter 2. So let's take a look at our passage. We'll read just the first three verses. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. How am I going to get 45 minutes out of repetitiveness? <laughs> Do you notice that? It kind of, kind of seems to repeat itself a little bit there in, in three verses. 
Um, but I want to dig into that this morning. And I think it's interesting. We've just finished the, the first six days of creation. We've seen God uh, create uh, lights. We've seen God create uh, the, the heavenly bodies. We've seen him create the dry land, the trees, the, the bushes. We've seen him create all the sea animals, the birds of the air, all the animals and creeping things on the earth. We've seen him create man, his ultimate creation. And, he, and we've seen him look back on it, as Eric told us last week, as, and saw it as very good. Everything that he had created was perfect. It was absolutely what he wanted. It was designed the way that he wanted it to be designed. And we've got these six days of creation. If you know your calendar very well, you know, ever since you were this tall, when you memorize the days of the week, we're missing a day, right? We're missing a day. You say there's, how many days are there in the week? Seven, right? Well, that comes from Genesis. There are seven days in the week of creation as well. And so we're going to be digging into this last day of the week, the seventh day of the week. And I think it's really interesting here how uh, God takes everything that he's done, and, and you'd feel like after six days you'd kind of be done talking about creation. <laughs> and the seventh day, we all know on the seventh day, God did what? He rested, right. I should just probably pack up now because you all already know pretty much what we're talking about, right? No, I, I like to talk too much. All right, so on the seventh day, God rested. But I think it's really interesting the way that he starts off this passage. He starts off just kind of um, wrapping everything up that we saw from Genesis chapter one. And the reason I find that interesting is because I feel like with so many of the things that we are bombarded with today when it comes to origins, when it comes to understanding where we came from, where the world came from, where the universe came from. I feel like um, many times people try to take what science thinks and, and what the Word of God says, and they try to make it fit together in some way. And I love how this verse, this passage starts. How does it start? It says, thus the heavens and the earth were what? Finished. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. If you go back to chapter one, you're going to see multiple times or every day you're going to see this phrase. And the evening and the morning were the X day. God is not a dumb God. He gave us the book of Genesis to tell us where everything came from, to show us that he is the supreme and only God, that he is the creator. And he gives us these little clues right there in scripture to help us understand how he did it. Evening in the morning was the first day. Evening in the morning was the second day and so on and so forth, all the way through six days. And at the end of that, it comes to chapter two and he says, and everything that he had created, all the heavens and the earth were finished. What is the, what's the concept, the base root concept of evolution? It's that we are constantly changing. We're constantly getting better, right? Everything is continuing to evolve and it has for billions and billions of years, right? That's the concept of evolution. That's what they're trying to push. And yet God says, look, I did six literal days of creation. I gave you the evening and the morning to, to show that it was a literal day. And at the end of it, I said it is 
finished. It's done. It's complete. But not only that, I think, you know, some people would say, well, okay, maybe, maybe God uh, created the world, the environment, the universe, but, you know, we can still, we still think that, that, you know, man and the animals and things like that, they still evolved, you know, through time. Maybe God, you know, created the process of evolution and let it move forward. What's the next phrase say? And all the hosts of them. What is that talking about? All the hosts of them. Anybody have an idea? What's the hosts of heavens and earth? A lot of times when we think of the word hosts of heaven, we think of angels, right? But what are, what's the context that we're talking about? We're talking about creation, right? So what's the hosts of the heavens? What? God? Okay, well, he didn't create himself, though. Birds? Um, yes, birds. Also outside the earth. We've got the sun, the moon, the stars, right? Anything that's above this, that's not attached, would be the hosts of the heavens, right? All these things. Let's uh, take a look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. Kind of gives us an idea here. There's, uh, uh, God is talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven you be drawn away and bowed down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Talking about the sun, moon, and stars, everything that we see out there, that's the hosts of heaven. And, and Genesis 2 tells us that not only was just that, that stuff created, not only was just the plants and the trees and, and the, the, the basic environment created, but the hosts of heaven were created. That includes everything outside the earth. It was all done. It was all finished. But not only that, that includes the things of earth, right? What are the hosts of the earth? Andy talked about some of them a few weeks ago. Birds, fish of the sea. All the, all the animals that we see, all the creeping things, everything down to the smallest, excuse me, microbe, all of these things are the hosts of the earth. And, and God says here in chapter 2, all of these things, everything, from the trees to the birds to the sun, the moon, and the stars, to the ant, to the mouse, to human beings, everything was finished. It was complete. It was done. Nehemiah 9.6 gives us a clarification on this as well. It says, You are the Lord alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host and the host of heaven worships you. God did not just start everything in motion and let it evolve. Genesis chapter 2, 1 explains very carefully and very explicitly that after six literal days, God had finished the work of creation. Everything was absolutely complete. In fact, it was so complete, we're going to see later on, I'm going to try not to preach it, but we're going to see later on that even the animals were complete enough that God gave Adam a task. What was that? To name them. 
They were complete enough. They were distinct enough that God gave Adam a task to name them individually. If evolution was continuing to go on, that, that wouldn't have been possible, right? So God created everything and it was finished. It was done. As he said back in, in chapter one, it was very good. And then we come to the seventh day. Once again, we have this proclamation of God's finished work. It says, and on the seventh day, God finished all his work that he had done. And what? And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God finishes all the work that he, that he is going to do in creation and it's all completely done and the seventh day comes and he rests. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really thought of creation as being a very difficult task. Um, when we look at the fact that God literally spoke everything into existence and, and obviously if we look back and, and, and bring passages together. We look at, looked at Colossians 1 not that long ago, how Christ in John 1 is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, right? So Jesus Christ is that Word that was spoken. But all that setting aside, usually when you think about God speaking everything into existence, we don't think of that as a very difficult task, do we? I mean, that sounds pretty simple. Let there be light. And there was light. It's not very hard. But it's interesting. Uh, the words that, that are being used here are used on purpose. Uh, this work that it's talking about, the word is equivalent to work that we do in order to earn a living or as an occupation. So it's a, it's a labor term. It's, it's the idea that God labored in creating the world. You say, wait a minute, David, um, God's all-powerful. How in the world could God get tired? Well, I'm not saying that God got tired. I'm just saying that he worked. The work of creation was work. It was something that he put effort into. Even in speaking those words, there was effort, there was work, there was toil to create everything that we see here. Exodus chapter 31 verse 17 has an interesting phrase, and we're going to get back to this a little bit later, <clears throat> but um, it's really interesting what this phrase says. Uh, starting verse seven, in verse 17, it says, it, talking about the Sabbath, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And was refreshed. Say, what? <laughs> God was refreshed? God rested on the seventh day and he was refreshed. The word here, refreshed, has the idea of being refreshed from a weary state due to hard labor. Does God get tired? No, he's all powerful. But yet God rested on the seventh day and scripture even says that he was refreshed by it. Why? Well, he did it for an example to us. 
Being all-powerful, rest is not necessity to God, yet he still chose to perform a rest. And call it refreshing in order to provide an example to man. And we'll discuss this a little bit later. But God is starting something here that he's going to carry out and complete at the end of time. Not only did God rest on the seventh day, but verse 3. Hey, we're moving pretty quickly, right? Verse 3 says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. All right, so not only did he rest on the seventh day, but he did something special with it, right? He blessed it. It became a special day. It became a holy day, a, a day that was set apart for a purpose. Now, the only people that were there at this time were who? Better get this right. Yeah, Adam and Eve, right? These are the only two people here. They were created on day six, right? And so day seven, God's resting. Um, and from all that he's done, he's being refreshed. And, he's, and he sets apart this day. He calls it holy and he blesses it. There's something special about this Sabbath day that God wants us to understand. And it's kind of hard to, to really understand it in just three verses. <laughs> because he doesn't really explain everything right here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. But God set it apart and he made it holy. He blessed it and made it holy because it was when he rested from all his work. Look at what the rest of that verse says. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It sounds very repetitive, doesn't it? God finished everything that he had done, everything that he wanted to do in creation. And then on the seventh day, everything was finished and so he rested. And then he blessed it and set it apart and made it holy. Why? Because he rested. Seems like a little circular reasoning there. This was a special day that God began. The Sabbath to be a holy day. The seventh day to be a holy day. To be a time set apart. And for him, no doubt, I, I can imagine, he probably sat, uh, rested, and, and reflected on the creation that he had made. And it's interesting, this concept, uh, this example that we have of rest on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, we don't see any more in the book of Genesis. In fact, we don't have any record of any of the patriarchs observing the seventh day rest. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? Now, does that mean they didn't do it? No, it just means the Bible doesn't tell us. So for the rest of our study over the next years um, in Genesis, we're not going to see anything about this. So this morning, I want to take the time and take a look at Scripture and see what does the rest of Scripture have to say about this holy day that is set apart, that God gave us as an example of in Genesis. And how does this example in Genesis work itself out in the rest of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament? And then, what does it do for us today? All right, so now we're going to start jumping around. So the next time that we see uh, this concept really is in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 16. Feel free to turn there or just listen. I'll, I'll turn there in my my physical Bible to give you some time here. Exodus chapter 16. 
Now, in, in this, this is where we come with the word Sabbath. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 2, we didn't have the word, the word Sabbath, right? We just had the seventh day. And God blessed it and made it holy. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here we come upon this word, uh, this Hebrew word, sabbaton, or uh, the root word is sabbat, um, which means to cease or to stop. And the idea here with this word sabbaton, or, or sabbath, as we call it, it was a day when we were supposed to, seek, to cease and rest from the work that we did, from the labor that we do. And who is who's, uh, God dealing with here in Exodus chapter 16? Who? The Israelites, right? This is after they have uh, gone out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. And God is doing something special here. He's, he's providing them food in the desert. Anybody know what that food was called? Manna, right? Very good. All right. So God is providing food in the form of manna. And we find here, jump down to verse 22 of chapter 16. There's a command that God gives. And he says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning and as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find it in the field. Six days shall, you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, this is the first time we see a command related to the Sabbath, related to the seventh day of rest. And it's interesting because the rest that, that he's really talking about here is a rest from doing what? What were they doing? Collecting, right? They're going out in the morning. They would collect the food for the day. In fact, they were only supposed to collect enough for the day. And if you read it, it's, it's a really interesting passage. Uh, maybe we'll do an Exodus next. I don't know. Um, but in fact, if they collected too much, they would only end up with enough. If they didn't collect enough, they would end up with exactly what they needed. Isn't it amazing the way God provides? Um, but they, if, they, if they tried to keep some over for the next day, it would rot. It would get nasty. It would be, it would be uneatable. And so the seventh day comes and, and God tells them to collect twice as much as they normally would and to set apart part of it for the next day because the next day they were not supposed to go out and collect. And if they went out to collect, it wouldn't be there because God was the one that was providing this food. Why would God have them do this? Well, in this passage, it doesn't mention Genesis chapter 2, but other passages will, and we'll see that here in a minute. But why would God have the children of Israel stop one day a week from gathering this food that he had provided for them? Well, if you know anything about the children of Israel during this time, they're a pretty grumpy bunch, right? They are complainers. In fact, they didn't like manna, and then they got quail. And I mean, it, it, they, they're just complainers, you know? And, uh, and so these people, um, they're going out there every day, and they're picking it up. And I can imagine that maybe over time, 
they started maybe not being quite as appreciative of what God was doing for them. In the wilderness, in the desert where there was no food, he was providing them with food every morning, day after day after day. And God tells them, look, you're going to rest on the seventh day because it's a holy day. It's a day that's set apart. And I want you to gather extra and it's going to be left over. And every other day it would rot. But on the seventh day, it'll be good. And you'll be nourished and you'll be taken care of. And that seventh day was a time for them to rest and reflect and remember that this bread that they're eating, this manna that they're eating was provided not by their gathering, but by the Lord himself. So there was a purpose in them waiting and resting. It's not, just a, it's not just a holiday, right? God's not just saying, hey, you guys deserve a break, you know, like McDonald's. Have you had your break today? You know, that's, that's not what God's saying. He's saying, there's a purpose in this. You need to understand this is a holy day. The seventh day of the week is a holy day. It's set apart for a purpose, Verse 27 says, and so on, the se- on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Next, we turn to a very familiar passage. Exodus chapter 20. What what do we find there? What? Ten Commandments. Commandments. Class participation day. All right, the Ten Commandments. What's the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it Holy. Let's, jump, let's work through this quickly. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, this is not a command that's just regarding uh, picking up food anymore. All right? There's something a little bit more to this command when we come to uh, the Ten Commandments. This, this, is, this is like the big, this is the big ten for Israel, right? These were the, the ten that were written on the stone tablets. Um, these, were, these were special. These were the main ones. And number four is this statement that they are to not, they are to remember the Sabbath day. We see this idea again of the Sabbath day being a holy day in verse eight. And that it's again set apart to whom? In verse 10. Set apart to the Lord, right? It's a holy day set apart to the Lord. Secondly, we see that uh, the very distinct difference between a normal day and the Sabbath being that the Sabbath is without work or labor or service. Again, the idea of, of the labor of your occupation, that, that which you would do for, uh, for your profit, for your lifestyle, should be ceased. Third, we see that this rest is for everyone. 
This rest is for everyone, not just the parents, wives included. I know wives probably feel like they never have a day of rest, especially if they're raising children. Um, But this rest is for everyone, parents, children. It was for the servants. It was for visitors in your house. They were to rest as well. It was even for the animals. The animals were not supposed to be working or laboring on the Sabbath. This Sabbath day of rest was not just a vacation uh, for special people in Israel. It was for everybody. Everyone was to rest, and it was to be done to the Lord. Their focus was to be on the Lord. But fourth, we see the clear reason given is because that's what God modeled for us in creation. Did you catch that? At the end of that passage, it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So Moses, as he's giving, or actually God at this point, as he's giving these Ten Commandments, he comes to number four and he says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Why? Because I gave you an example back in Genesis chapter two. When I finished all of my creation and I rested and I blessed the seventh day and I made it holy. So this command was not just some random command that God came up with as part of his law. It was part, it was connected to Genesis chapter 2. The reason for it was because of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Jump over to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. It's kind of, uh, it's basically the same thing, but it's expanding on it just a little bit. We'll start reading in verse 12. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you, between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be what? Put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath through their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Just a few things I want to pull out from here. Again, much of this is the same, but... God tells Moses in verse 13 that the Sabbath is not only a day of rest, but it's a sign. It's a sign to the nation of Israel that God has set them apart, that they are unique, that they are special. He's giving them what he has exemplified in creation in Genesis chapter 2. He's now giving them as a command so that they follow suit, so that they are peculiar, so that they are different from the countries around them as they are going to eventually be going into the land of Canaan. This concept of resting on on the Sabbath as a time that was devoted to reflecting on the Lord because it was holy and set apart, that was a sign of God's choosing Israel. Not only that, but we see this very harsh punishment for those who break the Sabbath commandment. What was it? Death. 
death. If you did not take seriously, later on it calls it the solemn Sabbath. If you did not take seriously this day of rest and reflection on God, you were worthy of death. That's how important this day of Sabbath was and is to the Lord. Thirdly, the Sabbath command was a covenant between God and Israel that reminded them of something very specific in verse 17. What was that? It was a covenant that reminded them of creation. Think about that. Every time Israel would celebrate the Sabbath, it was a covenant that God had made to remind them of the very truths that we just spent a month going through. That He is the only God. That He is supreme. That He is over everything. That He created everything in six days. And then He rested as an example on the seventh. Every Sabbath was to be a covenant, was to be a reminder of the God that they served. Again, in this command, we see a clear reinforcement of the example of God resting in creation. There are many passages. If you look up the word Sabbath in a, in a word search in your uh, device or online or something like that, there's lots of, you'll get lots of pages <laughs> of, of verses that use the word Sabbath. We're not going to jump into all of them, but I, I do want to look at it just a few more here in the Old Testament before we jump to the New Testament. All right, Leviticus chapter 25. Anybody know what Leviticus is for? What? It was rules, but specifically for whom? Jews. Who? Priests, right? The Levites, right? So this Leviticus is specifically talking a lot about uh, the things that need to be done for sacrifices and all the duties of the priests and things like that. But I, th I thought this one was interesting. This is not talking specifically about the seventh day, but the principle that God is trying to teach the nation of Israel, I think is, is found uh, not just in the seventh day, but even here in Leviticus chapter 25, verses one through seven. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath. What? The land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow in your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow in your field nor prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, for your male and female slaves, for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. This is an interesting twist on the Sabbath. Again, it's not a day, it's an, instead of what? A year. And for a year, the land was to be left alone. It was not supposed to be worked. They were not supposed to plant their, uh, their, their fields. They were not supposed to uh, cultivate them. They were not supposed to go out and harvest them up like they would every year. They were not supposed to, to prune and, and make sure their vineyards were, were producing everything the way that they wanted it to be produced. It was to be left alone for a year. 
I mean, this is what people lived off of. This is where their sustenance came from. And God says, look, every seventh year, the land is going to observe a Sabbath. It's going to rest. It's going to rest. It's going to, it's, don't touch it. Don't mess with it. But it's interesting what God says is going to happen. Here in verse 6, jump back there real quick. It says, The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, for your male and female servants, for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for the cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You think God had a plan? Even in that year when they were not allowed to work the land, when they were not allowed to cultivate the food that they would need, God says, I will still provide what you need and the, and the land will grow food for you. Now they weren't to harvest it like they normally would. They would go out and he was providing through the land daily sustenance for a whole year. Can you imagine going a whole year not knowing maybe what you're going to eat tomorrow? Every day relying on God to provide the food that you need from a land that you were not allowed to work. This Sabbath thing is a pretty important thing to God because when we observe it correctly, where does our focus go? It goes back to Him. When they came to that Sabbath year, maybe three months in, and they've just been eating whatever they could find, whatever the land produced, you think maybe they understood what God, who God was a little bit better? The provider that He was, maybe just a little bit better? <clears throat> the Sabbath laws are pretty strict. We just talked about that. But were they ever followed? Do you ever remember anybody that was um, killed because they disobeyed the Sabbath? Found one. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15, <clears throat> starting in verse 32. It says, While the people of Israel were in the wilderness... They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Sounds a little petty, right? They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be what? Put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp, and all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with, to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you think God was serious about the Sabbath? We look at that and we say, He was collecting sticks. I made my kids do that before I mowed the lawn. You know, it's, that's not a really hard task. That's not a lot of manual labor, you know? But 
we don't, we don't know details. I mean, perhaps there was a reason he was doing it that, you know, the Bible didn't clarify for us. Maybe it was for some selfish gain. I don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But for whatever reason, he was out there on the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath. And it was important enough for God to make an example of this man to show that he was serious about this day of rest. And he said, stone him. God's serious about the Sabbath. One more passage in the Old Testament, then we'll move on very quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is again referencing the Ten Commandments. Starting verse 12 says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from, the, from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded that you keep the Sabbath day. Here we have another reason for the Sabbath day of rest. It is so that they on the Sabbath, yes, would rest, would have that refreshment that comes from the lack of work, but that they, yes, would remember the creation that God had done, but also that they would remember the fact that they were slaves in the land of Egypt that they would remember that God had redeemed them out. The, the, the day of the Sabbath was not just to remember God as creator, but it was also to remember God as redeemer. He says, don't forget on the Sabbath when you're reflecting on God that he brought you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I can imagine there probably weren't any vacation days when they were in balance in Egypt. They didn't, there was no vacation time, you know. They were there every day, 24-7, doing whatever it was that they were doing. Making bricks, serving in houses. And you think about that, and now God is saying, I want you every day, every week, to have a day of rest. And I want you to remember what it was like back in Egypt. And I want you to remember what I did for you in bringing you out. Yet another reason for the importance of the Sabbath day. All right, let's jump to the New Testament. Try to get through this very quickly. We're going to go with the most important in the New Test- person in the New Testament. Who is that? Who? Jesus. Jesus, absolutely. Jesus had some run-ins on the Sabbath day. Um, he performed several miracles on the Sabbath day, and there were uh, some issues with the religious leaders um, their opinion of what he was doing on the Sabbath day. And I'm not going to take time to go through all of these miracles, but if you want, you can write them down. I'll put them on the website later. Um, We have uh, the man who who had the withered hand that Christ healed on the Sabbath day. We find that in Matthew 12, 9 through 14. It's also in Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6. It's in Luke 6, 6 through 11. That's the only one where we have three gospels talking about it. And they also talk about what we're going to talk about here in a second. We also have the woman with the 
disabling spirit. Man, I can't read. The woman with the disabling spirit, she was hunched over and she couldn't stand up because of a, an evil spirit that was upon her. That's in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. We have the man with dropsy in Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. We have a familiar one, if you've been here through our, through our series in John, the man at the pool who was lame, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. And then we have the man born blind that Jesus healed, and that's in John chapter 9, the whole thing. As you read those passages, you'll begin to see this uh, interaction uh, between Jesus and the, and the religious leaders, namely the Pharisees most of the time, and, and their twisted uh, idea of the Sabbath and the way that they had taken this, this rule, this, this law that God had made and, and, and emphasized things that, that were not necessary and they twisted it to, to their own end, um, so much so that they were, they were blind to who Jesus was as he performed these miracles on the Sabbath day. But as you look at those, I want, I want to just focus in on uh, some things that Christ said, specifically in those first three uh, passages. We'll go to the book of Mark. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. It says, On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, was, was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Here Christ and his disciples are confronted with a claim that they are breaking the Sabbath by eating this grain. And, and Jesus points them first to David and how God did not punish David for eating this bread that he was not supposed to eat that was reserved for the priests in the temple. Why? because he had done it to sustain life. Not just his own life, but even the people with him. And Jesus said it was more important that those people were sustained, that their lives were sustained, than that that bread was kept from them as holy and separate. Jesus is over and over again mentioning the fact that, um, that good deeds should be done on the Sabbath day. He says, if, you're, if your ox falls in a ditch, would you not get it out on the Sabbath day? That would be considered work. And Jesus is saying, look, there are some things that are more important than, than, than the fine details that you have placed in what I have commanded as a day of rest. You've taken what I, what I have created and you've twisted it and you've turned it into something that's different. Something that, that completely ignores the good that should be done on the Sabbath day, all the healings that he did. It was right for him to do them because it was good and right, even on the Sabbath day. But he also says here a phrase that, especially those of us in the church age, like the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the man, so the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, look, you're, you're getting it twisted. The Sabbath was not given for man to be a slave to it. 
The Sabbath was given to be a time of rest and reflection for man. The Sabbath was given to man. And and then he makes an interesting statement. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Think about this. The God who created everything that we see, who finished it in six literal days, who rested on the seventh day, is the one who was walking through that wheat field eating the grain. He truly is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one that created it. He's the one that blessed it. He's the one that sanctified it and made it holy. There's a lot more to get through. I'm only on page uh, eight. Let me run through this real quickly. We'll be done in four minutes. Jesus said, look, the way that you're dealing with the Sabbath is not what I intended. It's to be a day of rest. It's to be a day of reflection on the Lord your God. And you know, even in, in our day today, we can get caught up in, in not just the Sabbath, but even other things in a way that God did not intend for them to be. Romans chapter 14, don't turn there, you can look at it later, says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, not, but not to quarrel over opinions. One, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that we might be, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Paul's saying, look, He's talking to the church at Rome. And there are probably Jews in the church at Rome who are still observing the Sabbath. They're still following after some of those laws. Even though they've come to Christ, they still have this Sabbath ritual. And there are probably many Gentiles there who didn't. It wasn't normal for them to, to observe it. And there was judging going on between them over this observance of days. And Paul says, look, the observance of the day is not important. What's important is your heart. Are you doing it unto the Lord? Are you doing it for the praise of men? Are you doing it to honor God or are you doing it to lord it over someone else? We need to be careful. Even though I think it's very clear that God made the Sabbath, He set it aside, He made it holy, He blessed it, there is There's so much research scientifically that tells us that rest is necessary for us physically, necessary for us mentally, spiritually. We need that time to get away and focus on God and be refreshed in our spirit. But let us not ever become conceited in how we observe it. Let us not ever judge someone else for the way that they observe it. As long as they, in a clear conscience, are observing it for the Lord. There's another passage I was going to get to, but uh, I think we'll skip it for now. 
One more passage, Hebrews chapter 4. I was going to read through two chapters. I know, it's crazy, right? Take the time this week and read through chapters Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to real quick gloss over it. This idea of rest, of the Sabbath rest. We talked about it being a day. God gave it as a year for the land. But Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 talk about a rest that is still to come. There's a Sabbath rest for the people of God that is still to come. Those of us who have accepted Christ as a Savior one day when He returns will enter into that rest where there will be no more labor, no more hardship, no more pain where we will forever and ever and ever enjoy the God who is creator and redeemer. And whether we practice a Sabbath day rest on a Saturday, whether we consider Sunday to be our Sabbath day rest, whatever, whether we uh, observe a specific day or don't observe a specific day, someday we're all going to participate and a Sabbath rest for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? And it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The work that gets us to the Sabbath rest has nothing we could do. It's only because of Him. Father, we thank You that in six days You created everything and that we can look at it and we can see this marvelous creation that you've made, the intricate details that have been discussed and, and wonder in awe of who you are because of it. And we thank you that on the seventh day you stopped and you rested. And even in Hebrews, we see that the, the author references once again Genesis chapter 2 and talking about the eternal rest that you have for us. We thank you that that is to come because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we consider this concept of the Sabbath day, as we consider the example that you gave us, as we seek to apply that to our lives, as we seek not just to fulfill a command or to look good to somebody else, but as we seek to truly embody this concept of rest, of rejuvenation, of reflection on who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that it would increase our understanding of you. I pray that it would increase our faith in you. And I pray that most of all, you would be glorified because of it. Lord, be with the time that we have uh, coming up as we discuss what you've taught us this morning. I pray that it would be uplifting. I pray that it would be impactful as we share uh, what you've done in our hearts this morning for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.